0: Welcome to Choices, the podcast that allows you to simply be. I'm Vidya Bellor and my job is to help you think about things a little bit differently, to help you cope with those challenges in life that may be affecting your happiness or performance and hopefully provide you with some clarity in your decision making. Today we're looking at habits and addiction. When is a collector just a well-organised hoarder? What differentiates the affluent person drinking three bottles of really expensive wine from a relatively ordinary person who drinks three bottles of supermarket cider? Are we all potential addicts? Where is that fine line between habit and addiction and where does that lie for you? Today it's all about you and me. I just have to say how lovely it was actually to read this from one of you out there this week. I'll share with you what she wrote. I really enjoy listening to your podcast video. It's always very thought-provoking and you've had a great selection of guests so far. I've got into the habit of downloading the episode to listen to after work on Mondays and it's a great way to start the week. And that's why I thought that this week, as it's our eighth episode It's about time that you and I spent some time together so that we get to know each other a bit better. So if you haven't already, just press pause, get really relaxed and comfortable, and then press play when you're ready. So today I'm talking about habits and addiction and that fine line in between. How we show up in the world is the sum of all our habits. And I know that sounds a bit extreme, Mm. but it's true. Examples, I'll give you, you know, how happy or unhappy we are, how healthy or unhealthy we are, how successful or unsuccessful we are. How we deem ourselves to be and how we calibrate these notions of where we're at are the foundations of a habit. You are always judging the situation with yourself. And then based on that, you just go about problem solving because that's what our minds are amazing at. They are the ideal tool for problem solving. And habits are a solution to something that you think you should have. So you can perhaps see that if you have issues around any of those that I started off talking about, so happiness, health, success, your mind is going to compute that as a bit problematic. And we'll go about trying best ways to fix that up for you so that it's just no longer a problem. So I don't wish to give you a bit of a psycho-educational lesson now, (laughs) but a habit has three component parts. Essentially, it has a cue, the behaviour and the reward. So the cue, it's that trigger for you to act, you know, based on the notion that if you act, your needs will be met. Then there is the behaviour, which consists of a desire. It's that motivational force behind every habit. And without this, you know, we have zero reason to act. You don't crave the habit at this point. You just crave the change in the state that the habit will deliver to you because it's going to sort out that problem that you've got going so i'll give you an example okay so you're in the house on your own there's no noise it's silent and there is the cue that silence so you go and you switch on the television therein is part of the behavior but it was born out of the desire to be entertained you then experience watching the television. That's that, the rest of the behaviour. So then the third part of a habit is the reward. So obtaining rewards are the end goal of every habit because they satisfy us, they meet our needs. And our brains are wired to have our needs met. So when they are, all those happy hormones like dopamine in the brain, they're all released to just really harness the fact that our efforts were really worth it. And to remember this for another time. So relating to last episode on the social dilemma when we were talking about our relationship with social media an example of the habit formation could be something as simple as you're at work and you're finding this project really difficult then you feel stuck and it's really frustrating and you just want to relieve that stuck feeling that frustration. So you just grab your phone and you check social media. The reward is distraction. You're relieved and it's brought you some time away from your original feeling. I was even joking with my production manager, Tan, about the fact that every Thursday for the last seven weeks, we partake in a bit of a cheese toasty fest every Thursday morning where we grab ourselves a cheese toasty before we record our podcast. It's become this habit. And actually, today it's my eighth episode, and I, I thought it's only fair, given that I'm talking about habits, I need to look at this one because it's become a real thing that I can't seem to record a podcast without having the cheese toasty so <laughs> so, so today I'm breaking my habit and breaking with that, so yeah, there's no cheese toasty for me today, but you know we tend to think of habits as good or bad helpful or unhelpful but the truth of it is that all habits they have a really well-meaning intention they're trying to help you and bring about this change that makes you feel better so habits develop they're reinforced by this kind of cyclical loop so where does addiction fit into this then well addiction is created when the habit becomes really overwhelming there's a there's a kind of compulsion with that and the habit appears to just take on a life of its own it's repeated more and more it's more intense you need more of but I want you to remember you know when you consider addiction or you see or you know an addict of any type that it was born out of a desire to help themselves to feel differently from something that they're trying so desperately not to feel. So if you go back to the point it all started, there was a lot going on for that person to process probably. And something about the habit that they got into felt relieving and motivating to them. But it's that tipping point of when do habits flip into addiction? I think if I were to ask most of my clients with these kind of issues, it starts off really innocently, a bit like my cheese toastie fest, to be fair. (laughs) But you know, for example, it could be something like this, you know, I'll just have a glass of wine on Friday. It's been a hard week at work. I'll just have a glass of wine today. It's been a hard day. Maybe another glass won't hurt. I'll just have a glass of wine. It's been a few tough hours. I've opened the bottle now. I might as well just have a couple of glasses and just finish the bottle. No point it going to waste. I'll just have a glass of wine now. This moment is feeling really difficult. And you know what? Those moments, they become more and more frequent. You lose, you lose count. So you'll note that the desire for the reward to feel better, becomes increasingly needy in terms of timescales, in terms of amounts. You'll go from a maybe a weekly reward to an instantaneous one. And over the period of time, you'll tell yourself that, yeah, there's no problem because after all, you're still functioning. But actually, you are aware on a deeper level that it's become a problem. Because it's affecting your nearest relationships. You're starting to put the desire for reward ahead of everything else. The people you love. And you start lying to them because, let's face it, you're lying to yourself first. And I guess this is why I personally don't drink too much. Because I know that every week of mine feels tough. In the job that I do, it does sometimes. And I could so easily slip into the space of, ah, that makes me feel better because I can just forget lots of this just for a bit. So I guess I'm inviting you to just notice those things in you that you face daily or that you might carry from your past that may affect your now. So often... Addiction is tied up with self-medicating. And I know for me, food is open to abuse. And I haven't got any guest speakers today because it's just me. And, you know, I wanted to share my story with you all. You've all been listening now for seven weeks and here we are in the eighth. And why should you listen to me? What makes me An expert on anything. Well, I guess it's because I have a story to tell, as many of us do. So I'm here to share that with you now. Because there was a time I remember living a life where I would just drop the children off at school, nursery, and I'd shut the door. And the mere sound of the door clicking, coupled with the deafening silence just wasn't a relief for me. It was a silence of emptiness. And that was my cue. So in that habit, in a loop, that was my cue. The sound of the door and the sound of emptiness. And from there, I would just head straight to the kitchen. And even sharing with you, I'm Sharing from the depth, actually, because it's hard to admit this stuff. But I feel it's a good place to, to share so that you know that where I speak from is, is from my heart with you. But I'd, I'd head straight to the kitchen, I'd make myself a hot chocolate, and it would have started, you know, eating one croissant. At one one time, I might have done that. But by a short while, you know, that habit was starting to form and I was eating more or less a whole packet of, you know, six to eight croissants in the morning within minutes. And for that time, it was lovely. Something about dipping my croissants in hot chocolate and the taste. I can even picture that now. And it felt really satisfying and of course I was occupied so as long as I was eating I was okay. I wasn't feeling that silent emptiness, was I? And this type of behaviour was on a rinse and repeat cycle. So the low point for me was buying chocolate eclairs for myself. Not one packet but I tell myself it's a few. I actually can't remember because when you go past the one mark it doesn't really matter how many you just stop counting anyway i bought these chocolate eclairs and you know at the end of my supermarket regular shop and i just remember actually moving the car in the car park to the corner of the car park so nobody could see me And I scoffed a lot, just to get the hit, just to get the reward. Secretly munching, hoping that nobody would see me. Because by this point, in a problem, your brain is completely chemically altering. Because you're just being reminded of how good it feels when you just do this habit. And it's totally reinforced so you know as i talked earlier that dopamine and all those happy hormones it gives you this hit which makes you feel a bit euphoric and that you can face anything albeit for even just a few minutes and i carried on like this really until something in me just woke up and i tried to face my own fears and question. What that silent emptiness that I was kind of running away from, I was hiding from, was really about. I had, you know, a normal upbringing. You know, nothing you'd say was glaringly traumatic. My parents were kind. My life was good. There was nothing I could directly hang this feeling I was experiencing, or not wanting to experience, I couldn't hang it on anything. And I just didn't have answers at that time to that kind of questioning. I just knew that something, it just had to change, else, else I'd drop down dead, just killing myself slowly, bit by bit, just by this habit that was just becoming out of control, and a secret, and how was that going to serve my children if I wasn't around? But this is the sad of it. I, at that point, thought I was maintaining a habit that nobody else could see. But it was glaringly obvious, because the weight was picking up rapidly, and it was like this heavy comfort blanket, but that comfort blanket was beginning to smother me, and why am I sharing this also personally this week? Because food is one of those habits or addictions that feels all the more tricky because you can't just abstain from it. So how did I learn to manage and to heal? Which I'm still doing, by the way. <laughs> Hence the cheese toasty uh, <laughs> reference. Because no matter the addiction, I think it's about facing the reality of what you're doing and that might only appear to you you know when you reach your own cliched as it as it sounds your rock bottom where the altered state which the habit is designed to kind of bring you about to just no longer feels rewarding it's deeply unsatisfying it's making life harder and more difficult for you And the costs of that are now outweighing any benefits that you thought you might have had. And you know, most recovering addicts will cite in their experience that change, it can only happen when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. I also think that, you know, we need to take a compassionate stance with addiction. You know, most people who just fall into it, they're just going about their business as functioning human beings, unwilling to face some pain that they're feeling in their life. That's perfectly normal, isn't it? Nobody wants to feel pain. Yet we need to be having these open conversations about pain, resilience, self-esteem impacts of trauma and mental health, in order to give people the space to know that it's okay to feel discomfort in life and that those feelings don't need fixing up with substances or as I like to call them, external resources. We need greater understanding, education and awareness around the fact that we all have the answers and solutions and They reside in our inner world and that we don't need to cultivate a dependency on the outside world for the solutions. It's a choice to do that, not a necessity. Of course, facing that inner world can feel daunting. But nobody's asking you to do that alone. There are people to help and support you. I'm one of them. If you're listening to this right now, just know that. And that's why seeking some help when you know you're unhelpfully dealing with things in life is just so important. Or there are things that you know you feel are contributing to you feeling out of sorts. I know a big step to my own healing has been to Embrace that inner world and really utilize the strength of my own experience. The lessons I've learned from pain to serve others. All that stuff that I was running away from, it wasn't for nothing. It was for the greater good, to make a difference. Because somewhere along the line, I made the choice To have a better relationship with the pain which allowed me to heal. And I'll leave you this from Gabor Mate, a Canadian-Hungarian physician who's an expert on addiction. And I so admire him. There is one addiction process, whether it's manifested in lethal substance dependencies, the frantic self-soothing of overeaters or shopaholics the obsessions of gamblers, sexaholics, and compulsive internet users, all the socially acceptable and even admired behaviours of the workaholic. And you might be listening to this thinking to yourself that you just don't have any addiction. No, you may not have. But you may have unresourceful habits. And that's where that fine line in between lies. Thank you for listening to the Choices podcast. It was great to really connect with you this week. Don't forget to like and subscribe and drop me a review. If you'd like to leave a comment or some feedback, just message me at choices at vividoutcomes.co.uk. And if you can relate and maybe have been affected by anything you've heard today, just know that I'm here to listen to you get in touch via my website, vividoutcomes.co.uk. I'll catch you next week.